Amen. Isn't it good to worship the Lord together? Welcome to church tonight. It's great to see your faces. I'm glad that you blessed us with your presence. It's better worshiping the Lord together, isn't it? So your presence is a present to the people in the room. And welcome those of you joining us online. Last week in our series in Exodus, I talked about the principle of first and how God is first. And so the way we honor him as first in our finances is by bringing him the first 10%, the tithe. That was a sermon that talked a lot about money. And there are going to be some themes that continue into this message as we talk about gold, God, and glory tonight. This message will also cover some money issues, and I just want you to know that I know as a pastor, for some of you that makes you uncomfortable, and I care about you and how you feel and response to the subjects we talk about, but let me just kind of help you to process this. If biblically faithful teaching on money makes you uncomfortable, it's a good sign that that is the exact sermon you need to hear. The more uncomfortable it makes you, the more you need to hear it. And so I just think if you open your heart up to the Lord and let the Holy Spirit speak to you, he will show you truth and he wants us to be blessed. Now, I think we've all fantasized at one time or another, what would I do if I got a large sum of money? What if I won the lottery? Like, I don't endorse playing the lottery. I think it's a waste of money. Uh, I don't endorse gambling, really. But what if I did? win the lottery? What would I do with millions, hundreds of millions of dollars? Or maybe you have thought like, well, what if I have a long lost uncle and someday he dies and leaves me a Scrooge McDuck size fortune? What would I do? Would I quit my job? Would I buy a new house? We've all thought about it. Well, this idea, it actually happened to God's people in Exodus. And I want to talk about it tonight. I think this is a really interesting passage and connection I want to show you. In Exodus 12, as God's people are about to leave Egypt, where they were enslaved, God arranges to transfer a fortune to them from the Egyptians. Here's what it says in verse 35. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. It's pretty incredible. They were slaves for 400 years. They didn't get so much as a thank you card, let alone a paycheck. You can imagine how frustrating it would be to work day in, day out, not get paid or recognized for your labor but God had a plan to make them whole. As they left slavery in Egypt, God told them, go to your masters and ask them for their gold and jewelry and clothing. And you can imagine how weird that would have been for the Hebrew people, right? You've been a slave your whole life. You're used to being very deferring to your overseers. And so you go to your former slave owners, your, your taskmasters, like, um, excuse me, sir, can I have all your stuff? And they actually said, yes. They freely gave to God's people. They found favor in the sight of the Egyptians and they received gold and silver and all this stuff they needed to start their new life as free men and free women. That's pretty cool. That's grace. 
Grace, one definition, is undeserved favor. And that's what they experienced in this miraculous move of God. So I'm going to make some points tonight if you're wanting to follow along or take notes. The first is this. All your gold came from God. And when I talk about gold in this message, I'm talking about wealth, money. You could think of any kind of wealth, property, your crypto stash, all your Dogecoin you've got tucked away. Uh, but money is something that we all think about and have to interact with on a regular basis. God fully funded the Hebrew people's bank accounts as they left Egypt, courtesy of their former oppressors. And this is a biblical concept that God did this. It wasn't just a one-time thing. Scripture talks about this in Proverbs 13. It says this, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. I love that. The wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. If you handle money God's way, you can build a true legacy. But when you handle money like the lost, don't be surprised if your wealth ends up lost. God has a tendency to redistribute funds from the dishonorable to the honorable. And Jesus even reinforces this pattern when he tells a parable. You've probably heard the parable of the talents. A talent was a measure of gold. You could also call it the parable of money or the parable of ten servants. And in this parable, the master gives each servant a bag of gold and he goes away and tells them to invest it wisely. And when he returns, there's a different result between his servants. And some did really well and some didn't do well at all. In Matthew 25, it says this, Then he ordered, Take the money from this servant who didn't do a good job. Give it to the one with ten bags of gold. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And, and I think a lot of people have heard that parable before, and it's natural to have a negative response to it and say, That's not fair. That guy already has 10 bags of gold. And you took the one bag of gold from this guy and you gave it to the guy with 10 bags of gold? Well, my friends, God is not a socialist. There is a use it or lose it principle in the kingdom of God. You use it right or you lose it to the righteous. So God takes the gold and silver and precious clothing and jewelry from these Egyptians. I get that fancy Egyptian Gucci and he, he reallocates it from the wicked Egyptians to his faithful people. It was an unearned gift. I want to ask you tonight, do you realize that everything you have is ultimately an unearned gift from God? You won't believe that until you first believe that everything belongs to God. It says in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. I was like, I have a little daughter. She's almost three years old. And the other day she walked by me. She had a little bag of cookies. And you know, I was getting hungry. So I decided to uh, extract a little dad tax. <laughs> so I was like, hey, come here. Give me one of those cookies. I pull one. Up, and she yelled at me. She said, that's mine. And I said, child, everything you have is mine. Any good thing you enjoy is only by the goodness of your father. And all the parents said, amen. Amen. But how often do we as God's children turn around and take the same attitude with our father in heaven? This is mine. 
And these are the people that will say, all the church wants is my money. It starts by recognizing it's all God's. Everything, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. You hear people say, all the church wants is your money. I just wanna point out, when you came in tonight, was anybody checking tickets? Did anyone have to swipe a credit card to check your kid into kids church? No, it, like it's all provided, so that's a really unfounded criticism, but everything we have belongs to God and everything we have comes from God. Anything you have, you only gained because of God. And it's natural, maybe some of you, if you're a new Christian or you're not a Christian, you might respond and say, no, that's not true. I earned this stuff. Like what, this stuff in my bank account, I earned it. My house and all my possessions, I earned that. I worked for that but you gotta back it up to first principles. Who gave you a healthy body that could work? Who opened the door for you to have a job? And we're usually more cognizant of that when we lose those things. Like if you're sick, you know, you'll be praying like, God help me to get better so I can go back to work. Or if you don't have a job, you'll start praying, you know, God, help me open it. I need this job, Lord, I need this job. But when you get it and things are going better, it's easy to forget who provided it in the first place. Amen. We gotta remember this. Everything I have is because God has provided for me. And that's one of the benefits for our souls when we tithe. Every time we get a paycheck, we give God the first 10% and it reminds us who's in control and who provides. It helps us to stay humble in that whole equation and remember everything I have belongs to God and came from him and so I get to return the first 10% to him as a way of acknowledging his place in my life as provider and as God. The prideful man looks at all his territory and says, look what I have done. But the humble looks at what he has and says, look at what the Lord has done. So you flash forward in this passage from Exodus 12 to later in the, the book. I wanted to set that up. And eventually you get to a point where Moses goes up on a mountain to meet with God, Mount Sinai. And he's going to get the Ten Commandments. So we're going to talk about the Ten Commandments um, in depth in January. It's going to be great. He's up there for 40 days and 40 nights. That's a pretty long time. And down below at the bottom of the mountain, the people who are remaining there, they start to get worried. They, get, they become anxious and they understandably even kind of freak out because Moses just heads up this mountain. It's not like he took a bunch of supplies with him. So they're thinking, you know, did he like starve to death up there? He, he, he might not even be coming back. And they started to worry, I think, and that caused them to make bad decisions. It says this in Exodus 32. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron, that's Moses' brother, and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, just like, excuse me, this fellow Moses? We don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. 
Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. That's another way of saying they got crunk up in there. It was crazy, like up in the club. So they lose faith. Moses is up on the mountain. They start to get impatient. They start to doubt. They're feeling abandoned by their leader and they're all alone. And it's like, I know God's been good to us. He performed miracles and he provided for us. You know, Moses has been a good leader and all, but he's up there and we're down here all alone. And so they ask Aaron for a, another God to worship. And so Aaron says, bring me these gold earrings that your, your sons and daughters are wearing. Bring me these earrings. And he melts them down and he forms a golden calf, an idol. And so you think, here's a picture of that calf. A golden calf, right? This isn't the actual one. This is just like an image. So you can help you picture it. But uh, it's pretty interesting. The gold that they melted down to make this is the same gold that belonged to the Egyptians that was given to them by God. And they used the gold God gave them to commit spiritual adultery, fashioning an idol in the shape of a calf, and they worshiped it as God. How foolish is that? I mean, they could still see God's presence up on the mountain, the cloud and lightning, and hear, they could hear the thunder. And the pillar of fire is still there and the cloud and they know God's around. They saw all the good things God has done, but despite being aware of God's presence, fear and impatience and doubt caused them to create an idol and worship it. And then they gave this golden calf credit for the good things God had done. They said, these are your gods who brought you up out of Egypt. That's crazy. It's crazy. Yet, I think this is what many Christians do today with money. Money is not evil. You maybe have heard someone misquote that passage. They'll say, money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is not evil or good inherently. It's nice to have some. It's nicer to have some than none. But it becomes a problem when you elevate its importance in your life above God. So here's the second point I want to make to you. Don't worship your gold as God. How quickly do we lose sight of God's goodness and we forget about how he has provided for us? I think about gold, right? I have a gold coin here. This is an ounce of gold. It's worth enough to pay a lot of people's rent for the whole month. This little hunk of metal, this... For you young kids, all of our U.S. dollars used to be backed by this stuff. Back when money actually meant something. In 1971, President Nixon took us off the gold standard, and then the government just started printing money whenever they wanted. But back in the day, your money it was backed by gold, and gold has been used as money for thousands and thousands of years. It takes different forms. But you could use this to put a roof over your head, or put food on your table, put clothes on your back. It gives you the ability to meet your basic needs. So you can understand why it's easy for us to elevate the importance of this in our life and start to view this like a type of God. Like, I, I just need more of this. If I had more of this, it would fix my problems. Now, a lot of Christians would kind of 
scoff at that and say like, no, gold isn't the most important thing in my life. That's, that's not the th- true. But then think about how you actually live. Oftentimes we live like it is. A- ask yourself today, ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Have you made a God out of gold? Has money become an idol in your life? Maybe some of you are like, I don't know. I don't have a golden calf in my living room. How do I know if it's an idol in my life? Let me help you with that. I'll give you two things. First, anything you desire more than God is an idol. How many of us will work 40 hours in a week and commute and budget and spend money? All this time thinking about money, working for money, and then we can't even find 40 minutes to read God's word. Worship, you could describe as ascribing worth to something. I worship that which is worth it. And the reason that some of us chase after money and you use your energy to pursue money and you spend time thinking of ways to make money is because you believe it's worth it. And maybe it is. And it's you know, normal to say, well, that money puts food on the table. This money puts a roof over our head. This money pays the bills. Giving credit to that which God gave us instead of the God who gave it to us. Just like the Israelites did. These are your gods who brought you up out of Egypt. No, it was God who provided, wasn't it? So I think you should think about this. A lot of times, you know, we'll spend all week working, but maybe an hour focused on God. That's if you go to church every week, which let's be honest, not everybody does. Maybe you spend a little bit more than an hour, but if you're living every week with a 50 to one ratio of hours worked for gold versus hours worshiping God, who's really God in that relationship? And I'm not trying to get you to be legalistic and you know, get a stopwatch and a scorecard and keep track of the numbers. That's not, that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to challenge you to think about this maybe differently than you have before. Then here's the other thing. Anything you trust in more than God is an idol. Money is a test about trust. Who do you really trust? And we talked about this last week in Malachi 3. God said, test me in this. Bring the whole tithe into my house that there will be food in my house. Test me. Do you know that this is not a test you opt into? This is a test you take whether you like it or not. Everyone either passes or fails this test. If you bring God the first 10%, you pass. If you keep it, you fail. The test is, do you trust God or do you trust gold to take care of you? And many people will say, I can't afford to tithe. I can't afford to tithe. I cannot bring God that 10% because I need it to take care of my needs. And really what you're saying, if you're being honest, is I trust that 10% of my money to meet my needs more than God. If that's the case, you've elevated that gold to the place of God in your life and it's become an idol. Well, maybe there's some of you, financial pressure starts to build and maybe you started tithing. You're like, okay, I'm gonna do this. And then when the tension built up, you kind of just like ejected and you're like, no, it's too scary. I can't do it. I need that money. I know that this gold belongs to God, but he's not here right now. And I need it. 
It's up to me. So who do you trust to really take care of you? Gold or God? God knows that we're going to worry sometimes about having enough. That's normal. It's very human. You're not alone if you've been anxious about bills before or money or making ends meet. And so Jesus talked to us about this to encourage our hearts. In Matthew 6, he says, So don't worry about these things, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Isn't that good? Isn't it crazy how we trust God to save our souls so easily, but we don't always trust him to fill our stomachs? It's like, I believe he's greater than the devil, but do you believe he's greater than a bill collector too? I know some of you, you have financial needs in your life today. And you need to know God cares about those needs. You don't have to worry about them because your father already knows and he cares. And maybe you have another type of need. Maybe you have a physical need. You need healing or you maybe have a relationship need and you need a relationship to be whole again or... Whatever it is, God knows, he cares, and he's promised to meet your needs. Unbelievers who don't know Jesus, it makes sense that they would worry. They should worry, because they're in charge of their own lives. I would be worried too. But as a Christian, I know God, my Father in heaven, has promised to provide for my needs, and so I can turn over my burdens to him and cast my anxiety on him and know that he cares for me. But put him first, seek him, live righteously. He'll give you everything you need, Jesus said. Notice he didn't say, God will give you everything you want. We're not preaching the prosperity gospel up in here. It's not that kind of church. There's a lot of things I want that I don't need, amen? There's a lot of things you think you need that are actually just wants. In fact, one of the blessings of putting God first in tithing is it will teach you sometimes that there are some things that you thought you needed that you don't actually need to have joy. Last week, I read a testimony from a family in our church who started tithing and God provided financial increase for them. And it was a blessing. And I love those testimonies. I mean, come on, everybody wants that testimony. It's a good testimony. It happens all the time. Praise God. But I got another testimony on Monday after that sermon. It's another type of testimony about tithing. Here's what she said. Yesterday, inspired by your sermon, my wonderful husband. I love that part. My wonderful husband. That's a good way to talk about your husband. My wonderful husband ran our numbers, and we had a pretty long conversation about what needed to change. I guess I honestly just wanted to thank you for really bringing our spending to our attention. Today, we canceled three subscriptions and called AT&T for a cheaper deal. It felt so good to trim some of the expenses knowing that God has control of our finances. That's a good testimony right there, isn't it? That's a good testimony. Sometimes like, there's people like, I can't afford to tithe. Well, you could if you put God first. But then I won't have enough left over for Hulu. Well, I guess it's bye-bye Hulu. 
Sometimes you put God first and that means you're gonna have to cut out Starbucks. But that's one of the ways that God teaches you to be content with less. And then what he tends to do is he tends to bless you and provide more. <laughs> it's just what he tends to do, but it's not restrictive. It's actually quite freeing to learn to be content with less. So you fast forward again in Exodus. The time comes where God instructs Moses to construct a tabernacle or a tent of meeting where they would place the Ark of the Covenant and they would sacrifice for sins and the high priest would go in and meet with God. And so this is what happens in Exodus 35. It says, Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, notice that, from what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair. You gotta have that goat hair at church. <laughs> Ram skins, dyed red, and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. Okay, so everyone who is willing, it wasn't forced, it wasn't a tax, it was voluntary. Give an offering from what you have, not from what you don't have, not from what you wish you had, but from what you have in your hand. And he says, we're gonna build a tabernacle. It looks kind of like this. This is a recreation. Uh, it was a portable place of meeting with God. There was a tent, an altar, a basin. Inside the tent, there was the holy place. And then there was another room, the Holy of Holies. And I'm gonna talk a lot more about that in depth in future weeks. It's very cool. But this was a mobile meeting place between man and God. It was the first RV. It was God's mobile home. Before the temple was built in Jerusalem, his people had a tabernacle. And I want you to think about this. God, who is God, can do anything. He made water come from a rock. He made manna come from heaven. He parted the Red Sea. God, he could have just made this tabernacle appear one morning, like everybody wakes up and they're like, oh, you know, oh, wow, a tabernacle. That's amazing. And like, it wouldn't surprise me if God did that because God can do anything. He can just think it into existence and there it is. But instead he did it differently. He gave his people the gold of the Egyptians and then gave them the opportunity to give, to build a place of meeting. That's interesting this meeting place where man would come into God's presence. Giving, tithes and offerings always brings you closer to God. People that give don't give because they love God more than you. They love God more than you because they give. Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. If you wanna grow in your relationship with the Lord and you want to love him more, give and your love will increase. Anything you give to and invest in, you will care about more. God allowed his people to give offerings voluntarily to build a place of worship 
where they would encounter God's presence. And remember, where did the gold come from? Egypt and God. God gave it to them. God gave them the Egyptians gold that they didn't earn. He gave it to them freely, put it in their hands as stewards. And some people use that gold to build an idol to worship as God. And other people use that gold to build a house of worship for the one true God. Do you see where I'm going with this? Everything you have comes from the Lord and you can worship gold as God, or here's the third point, you can use your gold to glorify God. You can worship gold as God, or you can use your gold to glorify God. The Israelites, they built this tabernacle as a place where God would be glorified, and later they would build a permanent temple to glorify God, and then you know you flash forward in the story, Jesus came, and now here we are 2,000 years from Jesus, and there are hundreds of thousands of churches in America and all around the world. And where do they come from? They didn't just magically appear overnight, poof, a church. No, God's people gave tithes and offerings in order to build. It's interesting, people on the internet will point out, the church isn't just a building. And I'm always like, Well, first off, no one ever said it was. But second, people are funny about this. They tend to like to gather in buildings. We tend to like having a roof over our head when we sleep. We tend to like being inside in the shade and air conditioning in the middle of summer. It was God's idea to construct a house of worship in the first place. Remember that. And so I get upset when people talk bad about church buildings because Christians gave and sacrificed to build every one of those buildings. It was God's idea for us to meet with him in a house of worship and worship him. And every year in this church, we have campus in Ahwatukee and Fountain Hills and here in Mesa, we're building a new building, obviously. Every year people come into these buildings and hundreds of people get saved and accept Jesus as Lord and their eternity is changed and families are changed and relationships are restored and children's destinies are altered forever and family trees are reshaped in these buildings that other people gave to build. Isn't that crazy? These buildings didn't, these buildings didn't just spring up magically or, or miraculously, but people gave. Someone gave, not to get something in return, but to glorify God. So how do you glorify God with your goal? The first thing you have to understand is tithing. The tithe is the Lord's. It belongs to him. And so that's why we talked about this last week. You don't actually give tithes you bring tithes because you can't give something that doesn't belong to you. We bring our tithe back to the Lord. We return it to him. And the only option is to either bring it or steal it. Amen. I don't want to have God's money in my bank account that belongs to him. So I bring the tithe back to the Lord. It says in Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. So there you see right there, this is one of the ways you honor the Lord with the first fruits, the first fruits. And that's one of the ways we talked about tithing is first fruits. It belongs to God. He is first 
And the way you acknowledge him as first is by bringing him the first fruits. Last week we talked about the firstborn and how Jesus is God's tithe. Jesus is called the firstborn among brothers in Romans and the first fruits of the resurrection in Corinthians. God gave Jesus first in hope that the rest of us would come to believe in him. And so the tithe is one of the ways we honor God. And that's, that's something that every Christian has a responsibility to do. And then there's also offerings. We, we glorify God with offerings. And that's different than tithing. A, tithing is, a tithe is something we should do. And an offering is something voluntarily, voluntary that we can do. Just like the Israelites, they voluntarily gave offerings to build the tabernacle. So they gave above and beyond their tithes to build this place of worship. Here's what it says in Exodus 36. It talks about them giving. The people that were constructing the tabernacle, it says, they received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of construction, constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. Then Moses gave an order and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. Can I just tell you, this is every pastor's like fantasy right here. Wow. They had so much coming in. The people were just giving morning after morning, voluntary free will offerings. They wanted to contribute. They wanted to be a stakeholder in this place of worship. So they just kept giving. And eventually the guys building the temple, they came to Moses and they were like, hey, Moses, you need to tell the people to stop giving. We've got more than enough already. And Moses was like, guys, stop giving. That's enough. How many of you have ever been in a church where this happens? Yeah, me neither. It's never happened. <laughs> the people just gave and they didn't even have a fundraiser. They just gave because they wanted to invest in this place where God would meet with man. I know today hardly any churches ever build a building without debt anymore. This, this church has debt. We will have debt after we finish that building project, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I just can't help but think, does it really have to be that way? What would happen if God's people just got a spirit of generosity rising up in them and they took on the mindset, I'm a willing vessel, Lord. Any funds that you wanna funnel through me to build your kingdom, I'm joyful to be a part of that process. It says in Exodus, the people gave 2,193 pounds of gold and 7,500 pounds of silver. In today's money, that'd be worth over $60 million just because they wanted to give. It's amazing what happens when people start to give. I found some pictures this week of a building campaign from this church's history and this dinner below, there's people um, sitting around tables in what was this room. And there's some people in this picture, I still uh, remember their names and some of them still go to our church. One of these guys is still a board member. That was my dad in the blue shirt. There's a guy, Eric, in the background. But these guys were meeting together for a, a dinner to raise money 
to build the front part of this building in this campus where the lobby is and the kids church is. They were building an expansion to make more room for kids ministry. And so that was this, this was a cake that my little sister made for that fundraising dinner. And it says on there in icing, it's a time to build. And you know, this cake represents the front of this building. So maybe you recognize the shape of it where you came in this evening. It's funny though, to think that most of the people in this photo who were at that dinner, they're not here anymore. They either went on to heaven to be with Jesus or they moved away or, and they didn't know pretty much any of you. They didn't know that one day I would become the pastor. I don't think they would have given if they did know that. But isn't it crazy to think how the kingdom of God works that people who didn't know you gave sacrificially to build a facility where someday in the future, many of your kids would be learning about Jesus and you'd be standing fellowshipping and building relationships. Isn't that amazing? Before any of us came to church here, there was somebody who gave sacrificially to make that possible. And before they came to Christ, someone gave. And before they came to Christ, someone gave. All the way back, before any of us came to Christ, the Father gave his one and only Son so that anyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. That's why Christians give, because that's one of the ways that we can be more like God and glorify him with what he's put into our hands. What is God saying to you tonight? I'm not gonna tell you what your next step is, but if you'll ask the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, what is my next step? He'll speak to you. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And tonight I just feel led to give an opportunity. If you're here and you need to accept the greatest gift, which is Jesus, the son of God who was given for salvation to pay the price for your sins. This could be your opportunity to do that. If you wanna open up your life to Jesus and accept him as your Lord and savior, God the father gave his son Jesus to die in your place for your sins so that you could be forgiven and set free and receive the greatest gift, eternal life and relationship with God. That's grace, it's undeserved favor. And so if that's you and you're like, man, I want that, I'm in. Pray this with me, just pray. God, I ask you to save me. I confess that I have sinned against you and I need your forgiveness. I believe Jesus is the son of God that he died on the cross in my place so that I could be forgiven. I believe he rose again so I could have eternal life. I'm gonna follow Jesus from this day forward. I'm putting all my trust in Jesus and I ask you to lead me. I thank you for always loving me in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Hey, let's stand to our feet tonight. We're going to take time to respond to this message and worship God and give him the glory that he deserves. Will you sing with me?